Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let's go right to the chase. Bruce Arians stepping down as the Tampa Bay Bucks head coach. You cannot tell me that Tom Brady's return has got nothing to do with that. Or that Brady, quote, retiring in the first place had nothing to do with his relationship with Arians. You just can't. You cannot tell me that Arians' retirement has nothing to do with Brady and Brady's retirement had nothing to do with Arians. I mean, sure, we can go ahead and talk about Todd Bowles taking over and what that means for the Bucs' Super Bowl chances. Actually, it doesn't mean that much, apparently. It didn't change a ton according to the Vegas odds. But let's be real. The only thing that matters is the connection between Tom Brady suddenly unretiring and Bruce Arians suddenly retiring. You cannot tell me these two things are not connected. Not with all this weird-ass timing. Tom Brady unretires in mid-March. Bruce Arians retires at the end of March. But that's not connected. Yeah, get the hell out of here with that nonsense. March is not when a head coach retires. Unless something dramatically changes in March. (laughs) Right? Here's another way I know that there's a link between these two things. Do you know how many people saw that news about Arians and thought, whoa, 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 whoa. I wonder if Brady is going to have second thoughts about coming out of retirement if his dude B.A. just up and quits. Do you know how many people thought that? Do you know how many people articulated that? Do you know how many people said that? None. That's how many. No one anywhere is saying that. A 44-year-old dude who loves routine, unretires, and then his head coach resigns two weeks later, but nobody is wondering if that bothers the goat. Nobody at all. That tells you something. That tells you a ton. That tells you almost everything. Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times reported that Brady was informed that Arians planned to step down on the same day or a day after Brady announced that he was going to come back. Again, you're going to tell me those two things are unrelated. What an absolutely incredible dink! Sure it's not. A new head coach is a big freaking deal especially if you like the old one it's the kind of change that would make you go right back into retirement unless of course you wanted that coach out and yes I'm well aware that Arians told Sam Farmer and Peter King last night I know what he told them I know that he wanted to be the one to call the shots on his own succession I know he and the team wanted Tom Todd Bowles to get that gig I get that I know that. However, if the team and Arians wanted Bulls that badly and Arians was that dead set in moving on to the next thing, he would have done it in January. He would have handed the keys to the Palace to Bulls at that time. If Bulls was that deserving and Arians and that organization wanted him in that role that badly, they would have put him in the best position possible and named him head coach right when their season ended instead of waiting until the end of March only to jam him into that gig. 
Do they really expect anybody to buy this crap that all of this has nothing to do with Arians and Brady's relationship? Because I don't. Just like I know B.A. said this, quote, no, no, Tom was very in favor of what I'm doing. I mean, I had conflicts with every player I coached because I cussed them all out, including him. Great relationship off the field, end of quote. And to which I would say, of course, what the hell is he going to say? What do you expect the guy to say? TB44 just fired me? TB44 has gotten everything he's asked for since the very first day he stepped into the facility, and now he asked me to get kicked to the curb or he'd go into his fake retirement until I was. What was he going to say that? Now, I do agree with one thing he said. I do agree with one thing B.A. said, that Tom was, quote, very in favor of him leaving. That's true. That is true because this way, Brady gets to come back And he doesn't have to play for B.A. In other words, he got his cake and he's smashing it right into his own grill. Listen, I have no idea why Brady and Arians didn't get along. I don't know what the team did that wasn't 100% accommodating to Brady. I don't know how Brady could play for Bill Belichick for two decades, but didn't like playing for Arians, who's known as the ultimate players coach. I don't know other than to say that Tom Brady of the first 20 years might not be the same Tom Brady of today. Listen, I don't even know if Brady went to ownership with an ultimatum. I don't even know if ownership needed it. Maybe they already knew the two of them couldn't coexist. I just know this. I know that Brady's, quote, retirement was obviously bullcrap. And it felt like bullcrap the day he announced it. Just as I know that head coaches do not retire in March, the whole thing is sketchy as hell. And don't tell me one thing has nothing to do with the other. What, you need even more proof. You need more proof. All right, I got it. How about this? Arians actually said this last night, and I quote, quote, part of me, this is so good, part of me was excited to coach Blaine Gabbert as the quarterback, and prove everybody, kiss my ass, he's good. End of quote. You're telling me that this dude wanted to coach so badly that he was willing to, no, wanted to coach Blaine freaking Gabbard. But then suddenly, the greatest quarterback of all time comes back, and he doesn't want to coach anymore. The bleep is that. I mean, what kind of sense does that make? I'll stay and coach Blaine Gabbard. Oh, wait, Brady's coming back? Yeah, no, I'm good. I don't want to coach anymore. Wait, you'll coach Gabbard but not Brady? Oh, but you're going to tell me one thing's got nothing to do with the other. The hell it doesn't. Hey, by the way, how about this? Why don't we turn this thing on its head for a minute? It's also kind of funny to me that everybody immediately assumes that Brady is the one pushing Arians out because Brady doesn't like Arians. Hey, how about this? Maybe Arians doesn't like Brady. What's to say that Arians isn't leaving because he doesn't want to be around Brady instead of the other way around? Have you checked out Brady's social media? This guy's like the most insufferable guy now. And that's just being on Instagram. Imagine being around this guy in person. Imagine having to work with this guy all day, every day. What do you think that's like? You ever think that maybe, maybe 
Arians saw that Brady was coming back and thought, oh, hell no. I don't need another year of that. Let Todd Bowles deal with that guy's crap. I've already got my Super Bowl ring. I'm already a legend. I don't need this. So, bottom line, did Brady fire Arians? Or did Arians quit because Brady came back? Did Brady break Arians off and then come back? Or did Arians quit because Brady came back? Chicken or egg? I don't know. I don't know, but I do know this. It's absolutely connected. And no one anywhere with half a brain thinks otherwise. Don't tell me those two things aren't connected. Yet now I get it. Now I get why Arians wasn't in the NFL coach's pick. When the Photog's assistant told, hey, yo, Bruce, it's time. It's time to take the coach's picks. B.A. said, F them picks. 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 I'll tell you what, Arians saw Tom. Arians saw Brady and thought, no risk it, no biscuit is worth this ish. No risk it, no biscuit. Kind of bummed out now. Who wouldn't have gotten on board with the Blaine train? I got to tell you something. Things were about to get very graphic. Things were about to get very dicey up in here. I'm going to warn you right now. You, you've been warned. If these types of things make you squeamish, look away. If these types of things make you squeamish, quote to quote Mike Tyson, turn off your station. You know what just happened? Brady hijacked the show again. He hijacked <laughs> my opening topic again. Last time when Brady said that he was, quote, retiring, he ruined my opening take about the Golden Corral steak brawl. Punches being thrown and high chairs flying. You know what I was going to lead with today. I was going to give you clones exactly what you wanted. This news, Brady hijacked the real thing that you wanted my take on. The take about the guy in New York whose penis turned black and rotted after he blasted it with cocaine. Sorry about that, clones. You knew I was going to lead with that. You knew that I would have led with that. Talk about burying the lead. But nope, Brady had to go Brady and hijack the show again. Yeah, but Rome, how do you know that Bruce Arians retiring has anything to do with Brady? How do I know? I just laid out how I know. How pissed am I? It's like, I want to talk about certain things, but Brady will not let me. Yeah, but Rome, just because you didn't start the show with it doesn't mean that you're not going to get there, right? I don't know, man. I may or I may not. I may or I may not get to that story about that dude injecting his junk with blow. I'll just tell you this. I'm not a Coke guy. I'm not a Coke guy. If you touch my junk, I'm going to have you arrested. I'm not a Coke guy. I just don't think that that's what it's meant to be used for. Like one thing's got nothing to do with the other. Coke has everything to do with your beak, not your junk. I just know this. I was going to leave the show with that, but Brady wouldn't allow it. God, man, this guy. Anyway, your thoughts on that? Is anybody anywhere accepting 
that Arian stepping aside has nothing to do with Brady coming back? I mean, come on with that. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? We are joined right now by Quinn Cook. Quinn, it's been a few years since you and I last spoke. My man, how you doing and how is life for you right about now? I'm great, man. I'm great. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me. Everything is great. Just working, trying to get back to the league. No, I know you are, and I can't wait to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about your attempt to get back to the league. I want to talk to you about life in the G League. But we are a couple of days out from Duke in North Carolina. You played in that rivalry. You know it very, very well. How would you describe having that rivalry game in the Final Four? It's crazy. It's crazy just for two historic programs with such a winning tradition to never have met in the tournament is crazy, but you know that's always been the argument. I think the numbers have always been close, but you know never nobody can never really win the argument because we never you know met in the tournament. So I think this is really the biggest game in rivalry history. And one of the biggest games in college basketball history, for sure. No doubt. What a great point. Quinn Cook is joining us right now. I mean, it's not just that it's the Final Four. It's the fact that it could be Coach K's final game. I mean, to you, Quinn, how unfathomable would it be to see him lose to North Carolina in the Final Four and had that be his final I, game? I'd be sick. I'd be sick. I I, I don't know. It, uh, it wouldn't be good because, you know, Carolina fans can talk crazy you know, forever until, you know, we meet again in the tournament. But for Coach K to go out against Carolina, you know, I know our guys won't won't let that happen. So they, they know what this what this kind of game means. And I think it's really, really big for the rivalry. We're talking to Quinn Cook. You know, Quinn, your background's so interesting. For instance, you're from the DMV, so it's not like you grew up on Tobacco Road, but at the same time, you were actually a Carolina fan growing up. What did you like about Carolina then and then what changed? Yeah, uh, I mean, I was a Michael Jordan, you know, fiend. So, you know, I, I, I learned young that, you know, he used to wear his Carolina shorts under his Bulls shorts when he was playing. And, just you know, he used to always rave about Carolina. And that was my favorite player, you know, growing up. So, you know, I, I liked Carolina because, you know, Jordan went there. But as I got older, it wasn't like I was a diehard Carolina fan. I just loved college basketball. And, uh, you know, a guy, a guy named Tywan Lawson, where we're from, he went to Carolina. He was one of my favorite guards growing up. But as soon as Nolan Smith, um, who's my god brother, as soon as he committed to Duke, you know, I was a Duke fan. And uh, you know, they started recruiting me my sophomore year, and I knew the whole time I wanted to go to Duke. So it all worked out. It all worked out. We're talking to Quinn Cook. So, Quinn, like, where do you come out? Do you respect Carolina basketball, or do you hate North Carolina basketball? 
I, I mean, I, I respect it. You know, I, I respect it. Um, you know, growing up, you know, in 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 Hoya and Terp territory, you know, you, you grow up learning to hate, you know, Duke and Carolina. But I always respected those two. Um, and then for me, like being recruited by Carolina, be, building a relationship with Coach um, Roy Williams at the time, you know, I always respected him. And especially when I went when I went to Duke, and you just see how serious the rivalry is, I always respected him. And uh, I always appreciated the fans. Like, I always appreciated, you know, the, the, the trash talking back and forth. Um, you know, I think there's always a mutual respect thing. And obviously there's a lot of hate, you know, between the two. But I, I think it comes from, you know, our mutual respect. And, uh, you know, we respect each other. And uh, we don't want to lose to each other, for sure. We're talking to Quinn Cook. You know, Quinn, at 2015 at the Duke Basketball Banquet, Coach K was talking about you and talking about the meetings that the two of you had about leadership. He said that you were as good of a captain as he ever had. When you're one of the best captains and best leaders ever at Duke, that says everything. What's it mean to you? Given what you think of him, what's it mean to you that he sees you that way? To be honest, that's probably the best compliment I've ever received in my life, um, honestly. Um, just for him, you know, he's coached, you know, the best leaders ever. Um, you know, coming from, you know, a military background and, you know, coaching at Duke for 40 years and, you know, being a part of USA Basketball, to have those words come out of his mouth, that's all I ever wanted. Um, you know, I always wanted to win. I always wanted to be an All-American. always wanted to be a, a great player on the court. But, you know, a lot of it goes off the court, as you know, and, uh, you know, he prepares so much. He has us prepared. And just to see, you know, what he brings to me every day. Obviously, when you get recruited, you know, especially being an All-American, you know, you're going to get promised a starting job. You're going to get promised minutes. You're going to get promised, you know, first-round pick. Only thing Coach K promised me was that he'll coach me as hard as he could for four years. And I can honestly say, you know, that's what he did. He brought it every day. So, you know, I had no choice but to bring it every day for him. And, uh, you know, I think it all worked out. Quinn Cook joining us. Quinn, is there a Coach K story maybe that you can share that most people do not know about or maybe a side of him that the rest of us are not aware of? Uh, you know, he, work, he works out every day. Uh, he, he's a coach slash comedian. I mean, I think, I think it's, you know, from the camera and from everything, you know, he might look, you know, serious all the time, but he keeps it light. He makes it enjoyable to come to work every day. Um, you know, he, he really loves us. He really cares about us. I think uh, – it hasn't been a Father's Day um, since I committed. And, you know, now in 2002, I mean, I graduated seven years ago. Um, he hasn't missed a Father's Day. He hasn't missed, a, you know, a dad's birthday where he texts me. Obviously, I lost my father. So, like, Christmas, you know, special little dates, you know, he still remembers them. And he texts me or calls me, you know, still to this day. And I always appreciated that. And, you know, he's helped me so much. Um, he's still my coach. He coaches me to this day. And uh, he's, a, he's a second father to me. Talking to Quinn Cook, you know, Quinn, you mentioned that he coaches you to this day. I would imagine you mean both on and off the floor. You're still playing. I mentioned off the very top, you're still playing with the Stockton Kings. You're putting up yep. big numbers with them. How is your time with them going? It's been great. It's been great. I've been here for three weeks. I've played about eight games. Um, you know, it's been refreshing just to, you know, feel important to a team. I think my last two years in the league, you know, just you know, being at the end, of, in the end of the bench, not being in the rotation. You know, you can kind of lose not 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 confidence in yourself, but you know, there's so much you can do and and pick up games and one on one, two on two games. Obviously, you know, being on the Lakers, we never really practiced. So, you know, um, just like as soon as I came here, you know, just to feel important. You know, the ball's been in my hands since I've been here. I'm putting up some great numbers with some great percentages, and uh, I'm learning from Bobby Jackson. He's our head coach. who played 12 years in the league. Somebody who 
you know, I grew up emulating and I'm learning from him every day and I'm trying to get back to the league, but also just, you know, feeling important. Like I'm getting double teamed every night and, you know, uh, it, 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 it's been great for my spirit and uh, I'm happy I made the decision. I love that. Down here. I love that. I love that. I love Bobby Jackson. Quinn Cook is joining us. Earlier this week, you tweeted, quote, God willing, I get an NBA call up this season. It'll be the proudest moment in my career thus far. I will cherish it like a championship I've won because a couple of months ago I was at rock bottom. I was at my lowest I've been in my life, but God got me through it and never quit. End of quote. Quinn, what was rock bottom like for you and how were you able to turn it around? Man, I was I, I had been hurt for a year and a half. Um, I had the game taken away from me. Um, you know, playing through pain and from the summer, you know, I was advised to shut it down and rehab. So you now I was out the game for six months. Um, I tried to, you know, ramp my ramp my rehab up and uh, you know, I, I I went to training camp with Portland and I could barely move. I was out of shape. Um, hadn't felt felt like myself in about two years. Um, you know, I took a deal in Russia. I was in Russia for for three weeks, um, you know, I was getting uh, D, uh, not DMPs, but I was playing two minutes over there, four minutes, and uh, I was over there by myself, just contemplating if I still wanted to play basketball. And uh, I had a conversation, you know, with my mentor and my girl, and uh, you know, I told them I'm gonna be back in the NBA this year, like I'm gonna get back to the NBA. And uh, at that point, you know, I could barely move, you know, I had no confidence in myself, but you know, I had to go through that. And uh, ever since then. I came back to the, um, you know, the States, you know, I ramped up my rehab. I, I changed everything. I had to really look in the mirror and really, you know, uh, be honest with myself. And I changed everything. And, uh, you know, it's the best I felt, you know, in a while. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm playing extremely well. So I think a call-up would just be like a championship because, you know, three months ago, if, if I said that, you know, I could be potentially back in the league, you know, I wouldn't believe it. And, uh, you know, that was rock bottom for me for sure. Quinn, I'm fascinated by this. I think about this stuff all the time right now. Was it just a matter of flipping your mindset? Is that what that was? Did you change your standard? Did you find a new normal? Did you flip your mindset? Yeah, yeah, I, I flipped my mindset. You know, I, I, I stopped making excuses. I didn't, you know, uh, you know, obviously I, 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 the situation that I had been in the last year and a half, you know, I could blame the coach, I could blame the GM, but, you know, just not do all that. I'm going to look at myself and change myself. And there's some things that I, you know, I created, some habits I created that I didn't like. So uh, for me, just, you know, and being in Russia, man, like I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate everything. But, you know, I'm not an overseas player. I'm an NBA player. No disrespect to anybody who plays overseas. But, you know, I've, I've done some great things in this league. You know, I, I've, I've, I've done things in my career that I'm, I'm very, very proud of. But that's something that, you know, I take pride in. So for me, just telling myself I can get back to that point. And, uh, you know, I had to do everything by myself. You know, when I was with the Lakers and I was with the Warriors, you know, I had everybody around me. Everybody wanted to be a part of everything. But, you know, when I was in Russia playing two minutes, I only had a small few number of people, you know, supporting me and, and, and still texting me. So, you know, it's something that I had to go through as a human being, as a man, and uh, it's made me a better person. But it's definitely determined to a better player as well. Quinn. I love this so much. This is so powerful to me. Can I ask you one follow-up question? When you say that you created some bad habits that you had to change, can you share what you meant by that? What kind of habits? Yeah, just, you know, being uh, a playing a blame game. You know, man, coach coach doesn't like me. I'm missing that. I should have went there. I should have stayed in Golden State. Uh, politics, like this guy's agent is better than that agent. Just, you know, a lot of stuff. And then, you know, like, when I was first coming to the NBA, like when I was in the D League, like 
you know, when I got cut, you know, I still went back to the gym. I was I was hungry, you know what I'm saying? I was broke. Now, you know, I done made a lot of money, you know, uh, the drive, you know, the drive kind of changes. And then also for me, it's like, man, I'm hurt, so I'm not going to go hard today and, and rehab. I'm going to just chill and come back home, play the game. Like, I'm going to watch, you know, uh, TV all day. Nah, you, you still got to have that same hunger, and I lost that for a second because, you know, I wasn't feeling good. But to feel better, I had to work, and I lost that for a second. And uh, you know, I got it back. And, uh, you know, you, you, in this basketball game, even in life, you know, you, you, you get out what you put in. And uh, I, I, I didn't think, you know, I was working as hard as I wanted to. So, you know, I got back to my old ways, and, and, and it flipped just like that. Parents, it is time. Time to finally cross off one of the most important things on your to-do list, life insurance. Fabric makes getting a great term life insurance policy for your family quick, easy, and surprisingly affordable. You see, Fabric was built specifically for parents to help you manage your family's financial future like a parenting pro, stress-free. Fabric's new lower prices mean significant savings over other providers with great policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. And everything is on your schedule with Fabric because it's all online. Less than 10 minutes to apply and you can be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Then, just personalize your quote to fit your family's needs, and you'll be set with high-quality, affordable protection for your family. There is no risk to apply today. Fabric has a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Protect your family with term life insurance right now in just 10 minutes. Apply today at meetfabric.com slash roam. Again, that's meetfabric.com dot com slash r-o-m-e to start protecting your family right now m-e-e-t fabric.com slash roam fabric insurance agency policies issued by vantas life not available in new york and montana prices subject to underwriting and health questions there really is nothing that i like more than sports nothing nothing but there is one thing that does come close music really close i mean it means that much to me for far too many reasons that I can even get into right now, but many of you know my favorite bands. Many of you know my rock heroes. Well, I've got a new rock hero. Well, at least a new musical hero. And that guy is Eric Church. That's my dude right there. I mean it. I love this cat. I love this cat. I love Eric Church. And I've never heard a single note of any of his music. And yet right now... He is my favorite musician. I've never heard a single note that this guy's ever written or sang, yet he is my favorite musician. Why? He was supposed to play a sold-out show at the Spurs Arena Saturday night, but he canceled the show. Why? Laryngitis, right? Or maybe a family emergency, right? Uh, nope. Canceled the show on short notice so he could check out somebody else's show. How good is that? But that other show that he's checking out, Duke v. North Carolina. So let's be clear about this. My man did not have tickets to a concert in San Antonio on Saturday night. He is the concert on Saturday night. He canceled his own show so he could go to New Orleans to watch Carolina Duke, which to me is awesome. He's not standing somebody up for dinner. He's standing up 19,000 people who love him. 
He's not bailing on a couple of friends at a bar. He's bailing on 19,000 people who paid good money for tickets. It's probably the most disrespectful thing ever, but it's hilarious. Like, I'm all in on this guy, and I don't even know anything about this guy other than that. Sign me the hell up. Take me to church. I'm not just a fan. I am the head of the fan club, the church choir. Man, I have found religion. Because this dude's not even hiding it. I mean, artists artists don't have to give a reason why they're canceling a show, but he did. He sent an email to ticket holders saying, quote, This Saturday, my family and I are going to stand together to cheer on the Tar Heels as the team has made it to the Final Four. As a lifelong Carolina basketball fan, I have watched Carolina and Duke battle over the year. But to have them match up in the Final Four for the first time in the history of the NCAA tournament is any sports enthusiast's dream. End of quote. I mean, the whole thing is so awesome, but you know what the best thing is? It's not even the championship game. My man is not bailing on 19,000 paid customers for the championship game. He's bailing so he can go to the semifinal. This dude is the absolute best. I want to say it's the most unprofessional thing ever. But how can I say it's the most unprofessional thing ever when it's the most hilarious thing ever. <laughs> I just ruined your weekend? Yeah, well, my weekend just got awesome. And the thing is, it's not even like this guy played at Carolina. It's not even like this guy went to Carolina. He went to Appalachian State. He went to App State. And man, his fans are pissed. They are pissed. And he doesn't give a damn. I mean, I'm sure he likes his fans. I'm sure he appreciates his fans. Just not nearly as much as he likes those 12 dudes in Carolina Blue sitting courtside. Bleep them picks. Nah, bleep them fans. F them picks. It's like the guy knows it's the most selfish, unprofessional thing ever. But doesn't care. He admitted it. He wrote to his own fans, quote, This is also the most selfish thing I have ever asked the choir to do. To give up your Saturday night plans with us so that I could have this moment with my family and sports community, end quote. Like, in other words, hey, everybody, I am being super, super selfish here, but go bleep yourselves. What he's saying is, I know I did you dirty. I know you're pissed. I know it's wrong, and I know it's selfish. But you and I both know you're not going to do a damn thing about it. What? What? You're not going to come to my shows? You're not going to buy my music? You're not going to buy my merch? The hell you won't. If I thought that I would lose even one dime from any of this, do you think I'd be going? Hell no. I'm going to the game, and you're coming to my show. Just not Saturday night. Or Monday if we win. <laughs> I mean, like, I've never heard even one of this guy's songs, honestly. And I don't think I ever will. Because I don't need to. I don't need to to know he's already one of my favorite musicians ever. You know my guys, Paul Westerberg, 
I got more on Westerberg in a minute. Paul Westerberg, Michael Stipe, Paul Weller, the boss, Robert Smith, Robert Plant, and Church. Those are my guys now. I love this dude. Honor Schmoner. Word Schmurd. Eric Church does what the hell he does. Eric Church does what the hell he wants. I'm telling you the stones on this dude. I wish I had this guy's game. I wish I had this guy's brass set. You imagine me rolling out here like, yo, clones. Hey, 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 clones. Hey, crew. Hey, New York. Hey, suits. Hey, bosses. Hey, sponsors. Hey, world. That smack off date? Yep. Can't make it. Can't make it. My gauchos are in the College World Series. In fact, if they keep advancing, I will be missing those days too. Deuces. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. It's the most selfish thing that I've ever asked of you clones. But Rome's got to do what Rome's got to do. F them picks. F them clones. F them smack offs. Oh, speaking of the smack off. I'll get back to you on that date. Don't have it yet. I mean, hell, it's only March 31st. I'll worry about the date. You worry about getting in. And you're not getting in without an invite. Invite only. I got a telephone number. You want to use it? Go right ahead. Just know that using it does not guarantee you'll get on the air. If you can make it better, like I'm making it better, you will get on the air. 1-800-636-8686. Church, I barely even heard of you, bro, before this week. But you are like my favorite guy now. Dude, don't change. Don't you ever change. Stay strong. I stand with you, my man. I stand with you, Church. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you do not need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Hey, Axel, tell me how my ass tastes. I'm the president of the uh, church choir. Tell me how my ass tastes. Drink in my hand, yo. How you like that? Let me tell you something. Church choir. First of all, I am the self-appointed president now. I jump right to the top of the line. And don't mess with me. All right? Don't question it. Don't mess with me. Don't at me. Don't threaten me. I'll hit you with a Chris Stapleton take so fast it'll make your head spin. Don't make me go there. And don't act like I don't have that in me. Because you know I do. It's already breaking off now into other things. Now old school country guy is upset. Look at Wagner. Quote, did someone just compare that distilled formula country bro barf that Alvy is bumping to Johnny freaking cash? Now that's funny. All right, so we have this tree and now it's branching off. Now old school country guy's pissed. All right, let me just kind of spin this thing back to the choir for a minute because I am the president. I think the choir is really upset, the church choir, 
that church is doing them like that. And I'm here to tell you, I understand. This is why I can say what I can say and why I'm saying what I'm saying, because I've been there. I've experienced this. Take the way you feel about your guy and then multiply that by 100. And then you have the way I felt about my guy back in the day, Paul Westerberg. Like, I have not seen a musician do a fan base this dirty since I met my rock hero, Paul Westerberg. That's something else. Something else working here. Some of you are so pissed off. Have you even met Church? Have you met him? All right? I met my guy. Let me briefly reset this story. Or maybe if you've heard the story, you'll appreciate the story more now based on the content of today. Paul Westerberg was the front man for what's arguably my favorite rock band ever, The Replacements. I've said it for the record. There's nothing I like more than sports, but the only thing that comes close is music. Westerberg was a stone-cold, bonafide icon and rock star. These guys were such rock stars, they got kicked off of Saturday Night Live. They were banned, like the only band ever banned from that show because they showed up and they were out of their minds blasted. They got kicked out. They were they, Like Lorne Michaels said, you are not welcome back. You can't come back. Straight up rock star. The epitome of a rock star. Everything about this dude said rock star. Look at my guys in New York showing pictures of my guy Westerberg. I love this. Like this dude was like brilliant, a brilliant lyricist. And you talk to anybody who knows anything about that genre and that time, and they will tell you that that's one of the greatest punk bands of the generation. There was a famous magazine cover story at the time titled The Replacements, The Last Great American Band, question mark. And this dude, like a lot of you to church or church to you, this dude was straight up my idol. My bleeping idol. Honestly, I was obsessed with this guy and the band as somebody in college. I was in college radio, and then I got out. Like, this guy meant as much to me as any athlete at the time. That's how much Westerberg meant to me personally. So, at this time in my life, I'm dating this gal. Great gal. At that time, I mean, great gal. Maybe a little more into me than I was into her, but she's doing whatever she can to seal the deal with me. And she was a record rep. And she says to me, your guy is coming to L.A. this summer. I can get us backstage. Do you want to go? Do I want to go? There was no way I was going to go all Robert Plant on my guy Westerberg. Do I want to go? Hell yes, I want to go. I'm just out of college. I'm pretty stupid. And I've got months to get ready for this. And I'm getting hyped. I'm getting hyped. And the show is at this place called the Variety Arts Center in downtown L.A. I'm obsessed with this night. It's all I can think about for months. And I'm building it up. And I'm building it up. And it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. What if somebody told you, like, like church, what if somebody said to you, church is going to play and you're going to get to hang out with him backstage. And this is your guy. All right, so think about that. Then multiply it by 100 and you have me. The day finally comes. The day finally comes. What do I do? Keep in mind, I'm right out of college. Not that bright. What do I do? I smash a bottle of vodka. Like a bottle of vodka. I completely lose my bleep. I'm out of my mind. We watch the show. 
we go backstage afterwards. It's like in this little room. It's awesome. I'm wasted, but it's awesome. You know, you know, you have to be somebody or know somebody to get into that room. And there it is. And I look across the room, and there he is, my dude, Paul Westerberg. He's on a piano bench playing piano, dude. He's like, I don't know who's more wasted, me or him, but there he is. It's so surreal. I, I stagger over to him, me and my gal. I stagger over to this guy, and I am barely able to utter the following. Paul, Paul, dude, dude, brother, incredible, incredible. You're the man. What a night. Because that was one of the greatest nights of my entire life. And I'd look forward to it for months. So I'm just slurring this out. The now famous, what a night. And then I say it. I look at this guy and I say, quote, Dude, dude, tell me that was not just another show. Tell me. Tell me that was not just another show. And then I come to find out this dude's not blasted like I am. And he looks me dead in the eye. And he's got this look on his face. I don't even know how to describe what the look was. Uh, a look of like, yo, you, you are a douchebag. Get out of my face look. But he looks at me and he says, hey, man, it was just another show. And then he went back to playing the piano. And by now, the gal that I'm with is on the bench next to him and he's playing the piano. And he's just riffing. Holy crap stabbed in the heart by my hero while he's sitting next to my gal on the piano bench. Like I had any shot then, right? I didn't really care about her anyway, but anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, I did kind of, sort of. But not as much as I cared about my hero. And he stabbed me in the heart. So, church choir, I've been there, all right? Long before you got churched, I got churched. I got churched before getting churched was a thing. So forgive me if you're bent that I think that that's the most hilarious thing ever because it happened to me. Believe me, and, and, and I know, me getting Westerberg was pretty funny. So I know. And by the way, he did me again. He did me again. Years later, he came on this show when I became a thing. Hell, by then I might have been even bigger than him. I became a thing. And I hyped him up for three days that he was going to come on this show. And then he stiffed the show and stabbed me in the heart again. And But we made it right. We made it right. He came on. He apologized. We were all good. The, the moral of the story is I've been there, church fan. It's happened to me. And Westerberg and I got right. So you and your dude, church, will get on the same page again, too. Not this weekend, not on Monday, and maybe not in a week or maybe in two weeks, but you'll come around. I did. You will. Just don't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about and I haven't been there before. I have. And it happened to me personally. And it wasn't about buying a ticket. He did it to my face. And you know what? I deserved it. And why does anybody do anything? Because they can, church fan. He can, he did, and that's why I love this guy. 1-800-636-8686. Let me tell you something. I can speak for church. Ask him very, very clearly. Saturday night was, quote, just another show.
just like the replacements gig in 19, I don't know why, 88, 89, whenever it was, was just another show to the guys performing the show. You may be holding that ticket for Saturday night, but to the guy, it's just another show. That's why you're left holding the bag, and he's going to see his crew. Hey, Jim, I'm sorry. I got to side with Benny on this one. Sorry, man. Regards, cockfighting hater guy. Brad in the 360, cycling degenerate, war Pantera, unwar E-Church. That's not helping kids. It's hurting them, Rome. And he shouldn't be talking about hey, it Rome, on the radio, First man. soccer, then NASCAR, then horse racing, now country music. You're taking this reinvention thing a little too far. <laughs> Eric in Colorado. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Lester, Mobile, Alabama. Lester, what's going on? Hey, Jim, first time, hey, I'm calling. I'm sick to my stomach about Eric Church canceling the concert. He broke my heart, man. When I broke up with my sister, Eric Church was the only thing that got me through the breakup, man. He helped me get back on the horse, and now I can say I'm happily dating my cousin. But this ah! No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Lester. Oh, man. Lester. Lester the molester. You're not dating your sister. You're not dating your cousin. You didn't break up with any of them. Come on, man. I'm trying to do a show here. Let's go to the OC. Orange County. Tyler. What's going on, Tyler? How are you? What's going on, Rome? First time caller. Thanks for having me. I just want to call out the guy yesterday who called in or wrote in saying he hates when people use big words, then proceeded to use penultimate as an example, saying nobody cares about the penultimate game of a season. Well, except for Eric Church, who just bailed on 19,000 fans to watch the penultimate game of the NCAA tournament. He just took your words and put it in a crap stando for you. Thanks, Rome. That a boy, Tyler. Rack him. That's such a good take. Rack that him. is such a good take. That guy, you know, I said during the beef segment, what I like is a good beef. What I like better is a good response to a good beef within the beef segment. And what I really like is that guy taking that particular beef and turning it inside out on today's topic. Tyler, a boy. Good job, Tyler. Orange County, repping my hood, too. I love that. Good job, Tyler. That, that call pumped me up. That was really funny. You see, clones, as much as you frustrate me, I'm like, Dad, you bring me something good that makes me proud of you, and then I'm hyped. Tyler, I'm really happy with you, dude. Well done. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of... Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. 
Oh, Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper or What's Your Beef. We are joined right now by Connor Hayward. Connor, it's so good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Thank I'm you for having re- me. You know what? It's great to have you. Thanks for doing it. I mentioned that you were a member of the all-combine team, so you're getting a lot of buzz right about now leading up to the draft. I'm curious, what has the whole experience been like for you and the evaluation process? It's such a different deal. What's it been like? It's been uh, crazy, honestly, uh, but I'm enjoying it. Uh, a lot of people are seeing me as a tight end. Some are seeing me as a fullback. Some are seeing me as an H-back. So just being able to show all my uh, versatility is the main thing. And, you know, just learning a lot of stuff from my brother and uh, a lot of people in my family and uh, a lot of people close to me. And, uh, you know, learning a lot of new things as well. All right, so that's cool because there's a lot in that answer I was going to ask you about. Your road to the spot's really interesting in the sense that you broke out in your sophomore year as a running back. Then in your third year, you were a starter going into the season, but things changed and you were not playing as much. At one point, you entered the transfer portal. At that point in your career, in your life, what were you thinking? What was that time like for you? It was a tough time, uh, but I'm glad that I went through all that. Uh, Honestly, it was just tough being away from football. Uh, But I think with that happening, it's helped me get to the point where I'm at now. Connor Hayward is joining us. So were you close to leaving Michigan State? How close? Yes, sir. I was uh, extremely close. I was taking a lot of, a lot of visits. Uh, and then when Coach Tucker got the job, me and him met, and uh, the athletic director as well. And uh, the meeting went really well, and I ended up coming back to Michigan State, and I'm glad that I did. Uh, my heart was uh, still in East Lansing, and um, you know the team welcomed me back with open arms. Connor Hayward's joining us. I'm going to ask him about Mel Tucker in one second. This is a big Mel Tucker house. You mentioned family. Your brother Corey said that when the family met up with Cameron and went to the Pro Bowl that year, he said that he noticed that you had put on some weight, but it probably wasn't good weight. What do you remember about that time? And then how were you able to turn it around? Yeah, I just wasn't really used to being not on a schedule. Honestly, uh, growing up my whole life, uh, sports was a big, a big thing. And, uh, you know, having practice, having set workouts. And uh, I'm in East Lansing, you know, not being able to go to the facility, not really being able to do anything. And it's snowing outside and, you know, not having really uh, much motivation. Uh, but, um, you know, luckily my brothers and uh, Corey especially, uh, he's, he's tough on me. And, uh, you know, he kept it real with me. And, uh, you know, I think that was, a, you know, a pivotal moment in my life. That's a great response. That's a really honest, candid response. You mentioned Mel Tucker when he took over, and I and I love the guy. I really do. But when you first met with him, what were your first impressions and meetings with the coach like? Uh, he's a caring guy. Uh, he's he's a player's coach. Uh, he's he's extremely intense, and uh, you know I could tell that just right off the bat. And uh, when I got to know him even much more, and uh, you know. Even this past year, uh, you know, he's probably one of my favorite coaches I've ever had. Uh, He's really invested into every guy, and, uh, you know, he's really going to do special things at Michigan State.
See, now, Connor, what's interesting to me is you played that first year under Tucker, and then you graduated, so you could have entered the transfer portal, especially with Kenneth Walker III arriving, but you decide to stay anyway. Why was that? Because I just trusted Coach Tucker and uh, Coach Piegler and Coach Gilmore, and uh, I know that competition brings the best out in people. And uh, I knew that we were kind of going to go down this road, and I was going to switch uh, my role, and I-, I was excited about that just to be able to show – uh, you know, my blocking ability, my catching, and, uh, you know, if I had to run the ball still, I, you know, I'm, I'm more than willing to do that. But, uh, you know, Ken's a, a wonderful back and, uh, you know, the best back in the, in the draft. Connor Hayward is joining us. So you made that switch. I'm really curious. To make that switch at that level, you made the move from running back to H-back slash tight end. What was the change like for you? I made the change two weeks before the season. Right. So, uh it was a lot of learning when it came to my footwork and my technique, but knowing the plays, I knew the plays, and uh, that was something that the coaches really didn't have to worry about, and they knew I would, you know, give it all I had and play 100 miles an hour. Uh, so it was honestly just worrying about my technique, and uh, each game it just got better and better. So, Connor, clearly NFL teams love the versatility that you bring to a team, and a number of teams have had a lot of success with that fullback slash H-back slash tight end. What kind of a role would you like to have on an NFL team? How do you see yourself having the greatest impact on an NFL team? Whatever the coaches want me to do. Uh, you know, it's, the game's always about uh, knowing your role, and uh, when everybody knows their role, uh, you know, the team's usually better. Uh, so, you know, if the team wants me to be an H-back, fullback like Kyle Juszczyk, I'm more than willing to do that. Uh, if they kind of see me as a, you know, true tight end, uh, I know that I can do that as well. But uh, I honestly see myself as uh, somebody that can be a third down back as well, uh, someone that can be in a slot and, uh, of course, play special teams. Connor Hayward is joining us. Connor, obviously, you're your own guy. You're your own man obviously, but you come from a famous, famous football family. You're the son of Craig Ironhead Hayward. Your father was a fan favorite. I I want you to know, I used to have him on this show. I loved him. He was great. Your pops was such a great dude. I love talking to him. You were just seven when he passed away. What do you remember about him? Like, what was he like as a person? and What kind of an impact did he have on you? He had a major impact on me and my brothers, uh, you know, He's, he's a loving guy. He, he was crazy, uh, you know, the life of the party. Uh, you know, someone that always, you know, put the family first and someone that, uh, you know, no matter what he was going through, he was, you know, smiling and, you know, wanting to, you know, make sure everybody else was doing well. He was too, man. That's exactly how I remember him. You know, and a tough, tough, tough football player, obviously, hard-nosed guy. But, man, he was fun. He was always fun. We, we always, I always had a huge smile on my face when he came on. You know, your father passed, and then a number of people in your life played big roles. One of those people, Connor, was Tony Jones, who passed away last year. As you've said, he kind of treated you like his own son. Who was he exactly, and how would you describe the impact he had on you and his legacy? Yeah, so Coach Tony Jones, uh, he was like uh, another father figure to me. Uh, he won two Super Bowls. He was a left tackle, uh, played for the Broncos with John Elway. Uh, I'm best friends with his son, Cam. And, um, you know, whatever I needed, he always made sure I had it. And uh, he passed on my birthday. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know he's in a better place now. He's not hurting. But, uh, he, you know, he, he, he did a lot for me uh, and a, a lot for the community and, uh, you know, for a lot of, you know, other guys, not just me. But, uh, you know, 
it, it was a tough time, but, uh, you know, I think uh, a lot of us are healing with it now. Connor, it seems to me like you've been through a lot. You've been through your share of pain and your share of loss. How have you been able to work through all of that? My family, my close friends, uh, you know, and just being able to talk about, uh, you know, what's going on in my life uh, with others and, you know, not, you know, shying away from that. Let me ask you this. Your brother Cam has always been one of my favorite guys to talk to as well. Great guy. Super, super guy. Great player, obviously. I'm curious, what kind of conversations have the two of you had during the draft evaluation process, and what have you learned from him in that regard? I've learned a lot, uh, honestly, but the best advice he's probably given me so far is just for me to be myself. Uh, Don't go in these interviews or meetings uh, not being myself. Uh, You know, they don't want a a guy that's not themselves. they don't want to draft somebody that uh, acts a certain way, and when they get there, uh, you know, he doesn't gel with the team. So, honestly, just uh, being myself and uh, enjoying it. Don't stress myself out too much. Uh, everything's going to take care of itself. Uh, and, you know, you, you know, stay low-key and just work out, and, uh, you know, it's grind mode right now. You know what it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but looking at you and your background and the way people talk about you, it just seems like the thing that keeps coming up is, one, how tough you are, Two, you have a willingness to learn. Three, you're really hungry to grind and work. Is there a thing like, it doesn't really matter what my role is. Man, just, I love the game and I love to work. I'm going to find a way to make it work no matter what if I get the opportunity. Is that not what it comes down to? Yes, sir. Uh, that, that's the type of player I am. I'm all about the team success because uh, with team success, uh, you know, comes player uh, indiv- individual accolades after. So uh, that's all, uh, you know, I've been brought up, brought up about and uh, something that I'm going to, you know, continue to be about, uh, you know, throughout my career. An honorable mention All-Big Ten player, a member of the All-Combine team, and then the draft gets underway on April 28th. This is a player to watch, Connor Hayward, my guest. Connor, I appreciate it. Really nice to talk to you. Good luck on draft day. We'll be really curious to see where you go, and I'll look for you afterwards. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Right now, though, as promised, we are joined by somebody who covers the NFL for the LA Times. He is a winner of the Dick McCann Award. He is Sam Farmer. Sam, it is good to have you back. Sam, how are you? I'm doing well, buddy. How you doing? Good, dude. Good. Great to have you. So Sorry you I missed the uh, funny moment there. Yeah, it would take. It, it would be impossible even to explain. One, one day, <laughs> one day when you and I sit down, I'll lay it out for you. But uh, you, you and Peter King broke the news last night that Bruce Arians was stepping down as Tampa Bay head coach. First of all, how did that story come together, Sam? Yeah. So Bruce, uh, uh, Bruce wanted to give it to the two of us. We've had long-term relationships independently with with Bruce Arians and, and uh, a good relationship over the years. And uh, it was sort of a, a jump ball between us and, and really unusual to, to share an exclusive, a co-exclusive, if you will, with a guy from a, a different media outlet. But uh, I've known Peter for close to 30 years and, and uh, uh, we worked pretty well together on that. So we talked to Bruce over the weekend and, um, <clears throat> Uh, Peter, because of a family issue, couldn't come to the meetings. So I was down in Palm Beach and had Bruce uh, dinner with Bruce on Saturday night, and uh, and they were waiting for the for the ruling uh, clarification from the league. The Buccaneers were about uh, whether they could hand the job directly to Todd Bowles or if they had to go through the Rooney Rule interview process. And 
And once they figured out that they were able to do that, Bruce announced his retirement. So he, he had long identified Todd Bowles, his lifelong friend, uh, as a guy he wanted to coach the team um, and take over and get another head coaching job. And, and uh, you know, with Tom Brady at quarterback, it gives him a Super Bowl team, which uh, a new coach uh, rarely gets that opportunity. So it uh, worked out well for him. It's- Sam Farmer joining us. You know, Sam, you make a number of really key points, I think. I, You know, I, I believe, I certainly believe, I like you, I, I respect Bruce Arians, I like him a lot, and I do think that that's true. I think that he wants the best for Todd Bowles. But let me ask you this. You've covered the sport a long, long time. You are one of the more respected journalists in this game. How many head coaches do you recall retiring at the end of March from a job that had legitimate Super Bowl aspirations? No, it's, you know, that's, Absolutely true. It's a, a very unusual situation, and to walk away from that, especially when you're Bruce Arians, who, you know, you win another Super Bowl, you you can make a pretty compelling case for Canton. He's been a two-time coach of the year with two different teams, a only interim coach to win coach of the year, and and uh, you know you sort of lock in Canton, Canton if you win a, another Super Bowl there. Uh, I think so. It is odd to walk away and walk away from a team with. Uh, you know, Tom Brady at quarterback, the greatest to play it. So um, now I will say uh, we're talking about a quarterback who's almost 45, a coach who's almost 70, uh, which tells me two things. One, they're very set in their own ways and their own ways of doing things. And, um, and they are always living on the bubble of retirement. I don't think it'd be surprising to anybody that a 45-year-old quarterback retires or the 70-year-old coach retires. But, um, you know, it was odd that Tom would retire after after playing as well as he did and being in the MVP conversation last season. So that, too, is odd. And, uh, um, you know, so there are a lot of people who are going to are gonna, um, look at two and two and see if it adds up. And... Um, you know, draw a line between Tom coming back and Bruce leaving and, and what was the, what was the situation there? My independent reporting hasn't, hasn't uh, proven that out without, you know, of course I can speculate about that, but, um, uh, but certainly everybody's going to go there. Sam Farmer is joining us. Well said, Sam. So why don't you and I speculate for a minute? Just in your own, it's a, it's a hypothesis, right? But hypothetically, or in your own opinion, if Brady had stayed retired, would Arian still be the head coach of the Bucks today? I don't. Th- I think he was heading to retirement. I spent the day after the Super Bowl last year uh, at at Bruce's house uh, in in Tampa, um, and. He was now, in retrospect, as we talk about it, he said he was mulling retirement then, walking away on top after winning the Super Bowl. And uh, he's had health issues before. I think he's okay now. But I believe he wanted a downshift. And this is he did not like the way things ended in Arizona because he wanted James Betcher to be a head coach. They gave it to Steve Wilkes, and they blew out the whole staff there. I think he looked at this and said, Listen, the the timing is right for me to step away, hand it off to one of my best friends in life, uh, Todd Bowles, and keep the staff locked in uh, so nobody gets fired. And now when Tom comes back, I'm giving 
the Buccaneers with Tom Brady to my buddy, and I'm not giving the Buccaneers with Blaine Gabbert to my buddy. Um, so I, I believe that Bruce was going to retire no matter what. Um, but, uh, y- you know, but like you said, I mean, walking away from a, from a really good job and you made the divisional round, you're coming off a Super Bowl win before that, it uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It seems a little crazy. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think you make a persuasive argument on his behalf. I would only say then, yeah, I, I agree, and it all makes sense, but if it all makes sense and it's all legit like that, why not retire in January instead of the end of March? Yeah, true. Absolutely. No question. Except if you, if you retire in January, uh, you do open it up. You're not able to hand it off to a, mm. to a Todd Bowles necessarily. Maybe the, the Buccaneers hire Todd Bowles, but they go through a whole coaching search and a coaching process. Uh, whereas it, doing it now, that window is closed and you can't interview coaches. Right. So if it really meant a lot to you um, to get the job to hand, hand off the job to Todd Bowles, this is the way you could do it without, uh, uh, without you know, in a shortcut kind of direct line way. Sam Farmer, my guest. All right, Sam, so finally, what do you think the team will be like with Bowles? How different do you think the team will be with Bowles as the head coach? I think they're, they're, they're the odd couple. I mean, uh, he is the anti-Aryans in so many ways. I mean, uh, personality-wise, he's, he was very conservative in New York. Um, the whole no-risk-it-no-biscuit thing is, does not compute with uh, Todd Bowles. Now, Todd will tell you that Hey, it was the personnel that I had in New York, and I can. You, I've got to coach a team different with Todd, Tom Brady at quarterback than I did with the, uh, some of the Jets quarterbacks he had. Uh, he had Fitzpatrick, I guess, but he had some other guys that were uh, not great quarterbacks. But you know, it's going to be different with the media. I think people are going to really miss that personality, even though Bruce will be in the building as a consultant for a year. Um, who knows what his interactions with the media will be? So um, he's going to have to uh, hang it out there a lot more with Tom Brady because uh, you can't play conservative with him. Um, and so Todd Bowles is going to have to be different, uh, but the, the the Buccaneers are going to be much different personality-wise than, than uh, they were under Bruce Arians. Um, that said, uh, Todd Bowles is a guy who likes veteran players. He likes letting them police themselves, uh, runs a pretty tight ship, but uh, but allows the players to do that, and he has the right guy in Tom Brady because he'll ride herd on that team. Sam Farmer, my guest. Sam, one last thought. I want to ask you something. You there's a reason why Bruce Arians like handpicked you. He gave you that story along with Peter King, but he did pick you. I mean, I just say this to you. You you are somebody in the business who is extremely well-respected but extremely well-liked by all of your peers. And I say this because it's been three months since John Madden passed away, and you got to know him well over the past couple of decades. I'm really curious because he's not a guy that let a lot of people in. How did that connection first start, and what was the relationship like? Well, thank you. That's so nice of you, Jim. I really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, John and I – we got to know each other when I covered the Raiders back in the 90s. And uh, and then through Dick Ebersol, who was a mutual friend, um, <clears throat> we really struck up a friendship where John and I, in the last five years of his life, uh, texted a lot, probably, oh, three or four times a week. And 
communicated that way. I went up to see him in Pleasanton uh, at his place when it went to see him in San Francisco, his place. I really treasured that relationship. Such a smart guy, uh, an interesting guy. The observations he had were hilarious often. Uh, he's very tight. He was very tight with Roger Goodell as well. And uh, um, just so cool to get to know him. And I mean, he just had the funniest observations. I mean, I'm looking at my shoes right now and I'm thinking, you know, John would say, <clears throat> the fatter you got, the fatter you get, the more you tie your shoes to the side, like <laughs> as a person. So, yeah, that's funny. Know, if you see somebody tying their shoelaces out, migrating out to the side of their shoes, that's great. Um, <laughs> they can't bend over and tie their shoes. So, I'm always concerned about I got to have my shoes tied in the middle. <laughs> Otherwise, I just feel too fat. That's really funny. That's really funny. <laughs> that just that's a John Madden is you know, just the way he looked at life. He was uh, you know, football's answer to Seinfeld in a lot of ways. And uh I just appreciated him I appreciated his friendship and and he was a great uh great person to be around. I appreciate those thoughts. What a great story that is. He covers the NFL for the Los Angeles Times. He had that story along with Peter King about Bruce Arians stepping aside. He is the winner of the Dick McCann Award. He is Sam Farmer. Sam, great to get caught up. Appreciate you. Great to have you on the show, and it's always good to talk to you, Sam. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Jim. Great talking. James in Portland. What's up, James? Jimmy, what is up, brother? And Alvy, my man, happy sex day. And word up, Lester. Albie, I love when Jim mentioned today that some dude injected blow in his penis. You said, dude, dude, I got to try that, man. Albie, it's called booger sugar, not shaft sugar. And Jim. Ah! That's not a good No. You don't like that cup. I don't like that cup. Not a very good cup. Uh. <laughs> I mean, that didn't really happen, right? Uh, Chuck. All right, Chuck, I'll give you this. Maybe I should not have shook you off. You're in the clear, dude. That was me. That was totally a host-driven decision. In the interest of, quote, transparency, extreme ownership. My, my bad. My I'm sorry. That guy, James in Portland, is like the rare caller. When when I see that guy on the screen, I just I want the call, and I know I'm gonna probably regret it. But he makes me laugh every time. The way he starts that call with Jimmy, like give me the give me the start of that call, only the start of the call. I don't need the booger sugar reference nor the other reference that he made. Sorry, and then he, and then he starts to admonish and counsel Alvi on how he's misusing it. <laughs> the guy, this guy's whole brand is Alvin's coitus game. That's like this guy's brand. <laughs> it's incredible. John in Little Rock. Hey, John, what's up, bro? Chef Sugar, gotta get me some. Sugar keeps me on the run. Chef Sugar, get him on my team. Chef Sugar, if you know what I mean. Chef Sugar, Jim, you're making me cry. Chef Sugar.
sugar. Laugh so hard I might die. Chef sugar. Mm-hmm. Ah, Unbelievable. Right. No. Absolutely incredible. You don't like that color. I don't like that color. You, I mean, my color. man, okay, my man John in Little Rock is on one. He's on one. Good night, Nashville!